Greetings, church. We are going to be in the book of Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23, and we're going to read to verse 27. You can say amen when you have it. That's good enough for me. This is God's word. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is God's word. Be to God indeed. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help me now to preach your word so that your church indeed is built up and that you are given much glory. I ask for the good of all the faithful and for the glory of Christ. In his name, amen. amen. Uh, well, <clears throat> for centuries, People believed that Aristotle was right when he said that the heavier an object, the faster it would fall to earth. Aristotle was considered uh, one of the greatest thinkers of, is still considered one of the greatest thinkers of all time. How could he be wrong? It's Aristotle. There's busts of him and statues of him. Anyone would believe Aristotle. And anyone, of course, could have taken two objects, one heavy and one light, and dropped them from a great height to see whether or not the heavier object landed first. But no one did until nearly 2,000 years after Aristotle died. I didn't know this. I learned this. And in 1589, Galileo, there's another great mind, called well-educated professors to the base of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and then he went to the top and pushed off a 10-pound and 1-pound weight, and they both landed at the same time. But the power of belief was so strong in Aristotle that the professors denied their eyesight. They continued to say that Aristotle was right. Yeah, their theory was challenged. They received a plain and clear answer, but their minds were made up before they ever got to the tower. As far as they were concerned, the authority on the matter had already spoken. It didn't matter what evidence was staring them in the face. To quote the 1970s philosopher and frontman of the Doobie Brothers, Michael McDonald, what a fool believes, he sees. 
And similarly, Jesus' opponents are going to confront him. They're going to challenge him in the temple with a question about his authority. But their minds are already made up. They've decided who they believe and who the authority is on the matter at hand. And as we'll see, this reveals exactly what they believe about Jesus. As we walk through the text, we'll want to consider who who we listen to. Who is the authority in our lives? And there's three points that uh, will help us during our time in God's word. The first is authority challenged. The second is authority answers. And the third is the final authority. So authority challenged, authority answers, and the final authority. Point number one, authority challenged. This is after Jesus has cleansed the temple. Remember, not last Sunday, but last Saturday, uh, we, we looked at the text, or you, if you were with us, or, or if you watched online, you remember uh, that Jesus had walked into the temple and he's cleansed it. He put out the religious extortionists and he let the blind and the lame and the children in and he healed the blind and lame and he affirmed the right theology and worship of children. Uh, and, and then he, he left the city of Jerusalem. He cursed this hypocritical fig tree and now he makes his return trip to Jerusalem and enters the temple again. And this time he's there to teach. And this is most likely on Tuesday of the Holy Week and he's probably teaching in one of the, the, the porticos um, with all the columns that was in the court of the Gentiles. So he, he entered the court of the Gentiles and he to, to cleanse it. Now he's back in the same area teaching. And while he's teaching, Luke even adds that he's in the temple teaching the people and preaching the gospel. Luke mentions that in Luke 20. He's approached by the chief priests and the elders. So the chief priests would have been these elevated members of the religious community who held the office of priests. And then the elders would have been like the heads of important lay families in the community. They would help guide people in Jewish traditions. Mark's gospel adds that there's another group of people in this group, and that's that they're the teachers of the law. So he says the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. And these three together would make up the Sanhedrin. These are people with pull in the temple, influence in the temple, and pull in the religious community. And they come squad deep into the court of the Gentiles, ready to ask Jesus a question. And here's what they ask him. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? So just consider all that Jesus has done. He's caused quite a scene the day before, remember, flipping over tables and throwing people out and then standing in the temple himself and calling those that wouldn't normally be called into that area uh, to him and he's healing them. Now he's teaching in the court of the Gentiles. And so it makes sense for them to ask, what's going on? It was actually customary. It was normal for people to ask questions of teachers that were teaching. This isn't a, this isn't, it's not necessarily bad for them to ask a question. And this isn't a bad question, necessarily. You could, you, it could be of the, of the, of the tone of how is it that you're able to do these things? 
How do you do this? I just saw you. He had a withered hand and I saw it was withered and now it's healed. And how do you, how do you do this? Who sent you? Who gave you such authority? When he taught in Galilee just, just before, uh, he, he heals a man with a demon. And we're told in Luke 4 that he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching because his word possessed authority. And so they marvel at Jesus' teaching. And so it, it, it might not be out of step for them to go, what authority do you have? This is amazing. And they were hanging on his every word in Galilee. But this is not Galilee and this is not that. This is not the nature of their question. These are the religious elites. This is the temple. And so they're on official religious business. They want to know who's given Jesus authority to teach in the temple. So understand now that they, this is not a group of people that are fans of new ideas. Okay, so, so one of the ways that you gained an audience in the temple court was you, you announced who sent you and whose name you were speaking uh, uh, from. So you, would, you might cite a well-known rabbi. I'm teaching his teaching. People go, okay, you're worth listening to. Let's, let's listen up, guys. Said, so if you wanted, wanted the authority that comes with being heard, you had to provide some sort of external justification for why people should listen, listen to you. And Jesus just shows up and starts talking. He starts teaching. And people start listening to him, and now he's healing people. And people are professing faith in him. It's like he needs no authority at all. It's like his works speak for themselves. It's like he owns the place. And he does. But the elders and the, and the chief priests don't care about his miracles and the wonderful things that he's done. They want to know, who, what are you doing? Who gives you the approval to say this? Where's your degree? Who gives you the right to disrupt commercial? You, you were flipping over tables, disrupting business yesterday and, 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 and turning this whole week into, into a fiasco. Who gives you the right to do this? This is our corner over here. This is our area. This is our block. What are you doing? We're the authority on what happens here. And if you didn't get it from us, you don't have it. So it, this is not a question that they're asking. This is a statement that they're making. I think it's interesting that the text says they came up to him as he was teaching. It's possible that Jesus is even interrupted mid-sentence. With complete disregard, they come for the one who made the very mouths that they protest with. I mean, what mercy on display here. Because this is not a pure question. This is a question that's loaded with dishonesty and deceit and pride. And they're there because the authority that they think they have is being threatened. Their religious rules are, are and their religious club is not being followed the way that they want it to be followed. It's making them look bad. But their rules don't apply to Jesus. You understand? He writes the rules. He writes the rules. He, he does not need their approval. It's his temple. 
He is the temple. Come to tabernacle among sinners. So the Jews said to him in John 2, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Very similar. What sign do you show us? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He's the temple. It's a very similar question with a similar tone and he's just displayed this in his authority over the temple by cleansing it. Jesus doesn't have to say, oh, yeah, guys, I see. I understand. I talked to Caiaphas and he said it was cool that I could come and teach and we're good. I got here's my here's my card. We're good. He doesn't have to do that. This is the Lord God. And what's amazing is that Jesus has the authority to say. What gives you the authority to question me? What gives you the right when they go, what gives you the authority? He could just say, me. I mean, they're defi- So Jesus is so meek and so mild and so humble that we don't consider what's actually happening. God is walking around, talking to people, touching people, communicating to people. And this is the one who made them, who, who knew them before, they were, before there was a twinkle in their eye. And they're, they're defying him to his face and attempting to shame him in public. Do you see the mercy that's on display here? They should be under the temple. And do you even see what's foreshadowed here? There's the cross that's in view and the, the Lord is patient with us in his foolishness. And he's patient with them in their foolishness. And he's merciful, and this is all pointing to the cross where he would take on our shame. How merciful he is. None should stand, and yet they're permitted to stand in defiance. And they would eventually defy him to the point that he would suffer death. But this is mercy on display here. Authority is challenged. And I see humility. Do you see it? What opportunity he even provides them in, in, in his answer to them. So authority now is challenged and authority is going to, the authority on all things is going to answer back. And this is what he says. This is point number two. Jesus answered them. I also will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will tell you By what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? We see a couple things in Jesus' response. First we see Jesus' authority over the conversation. In his answering a question with another question. So he's not going to fight with them or get involved in their little game that they came to play. They're thinking, if he names some random dude and it's not one of us, we got him. If he says, me, I'm God, I'm the authority, we'll accuse him of blasphemy, then we can trap him in an argument, we maybe, maybe we can even get him killed. We got him. But Jesus is, is not going to get into a debate with them. It's not yet his time to die. He's still got a couple days to go. 
No one takes his life from him. He lays it down. And he's not answering on their terms. And he'll be the one asking the questions. And he holds authority over the conversation. Consider family. Even when we think we're in charge of our lives, we're not in charge of our lives. The risen Christ holds sway over your life. And if you know him, it's a merciful sway. If you don't, he's to be feared and you should repent. Not only do we see his authority over the conversation, we see his wisdom. He, I love this. He gives them a multiple choice question. So when I was teaching in the classroom, the, my kids would love multiple choice questions. Because the answer is right there in front of you. You just got to pick one. You got one in four chances of getting the right answer. Sometimes three if I wasn't feeling as generous. Easy. Multiple choice. Not so easy. Because of their hearts, as we'll see. What's happening is that Jesus asked them a question. And in asking them the question, their answer will be their answer. It's going to be the answer that they asked Jesus for. And what it's going to reveal is that where their answer is, that's where their heart is. He says, the baptism of John, from where did it come, from heaven or from man? Now, in talking about the baptism of John, Jesus is talking not just about his baptizing people in the Jordan, but he's talking about his entire ministry and his message not just his act of baptism, but what was John's message? You can flip back a few pages to Matthew 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water. This is John the Baptist speaking for repentance. For he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In John 1, John the Baptist says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And then later on in the very same book of John, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said. After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And so what is John's message? John's message is Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one that you've been looking for. He's the one I've been talking about. Repent. And Jesus is linking John's message about him to his own message. And to his own ministry. Now they're linked together. And what John said about Jesus is the right answer. John came and told people who had the authority. And, and the one who, who he spoke about showed up. And he said, oh, he, he's got to increase. And now I have to decrease. Because the one I talked about is here now. And if they understood who Jesus was, they wouldn't question him in the manner that they do. These chief priests and these Elders, they'd bow to him in repentance and seek forgiveness because this is the right response to Jesus. And so if you are here or you're listening and you are not a Christian. If Jesus is just some random guy to you, he's not a random guy, he made you. And you will see him 
one day we'll all stand before Him. And if we are going to stand before Him and live, we must come to Him in repentance and seek forgiveness for our sins against Him, and He will grant it. Our response to Jesus, Christians, is not, what authority do you have? Our response as Christians is, what authority you have over my life? Kids, Jesus is the one in your life with all the power. He has all power. And he died for you because he loves you so that you would come to him in faith and trust and know that if you come to him in faith and trust, you have the one with all the power as your king. He's stronger than mom. He's stronger than dad. He's, he's the king. And he's made you to follow him. If you want to know more about that, you can talk to whoever's at home with you. Mom, dad, you can come, come talk to me after service. I would love to tell you more about Jesus. He's the one with all the authority, but they think they're the ones that have all the authority. And we know this, not only by how they question Jesus, but what they do when he asks them a question. Look what the text says. And they discussed it among themselves. The Lamb of God is right in front of them. And they go, let's talk about this. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. They should be asking Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And he asks them a question, and instead of bowing in humility, they go, we'll talk about it. Let's talk about it. I mean, what? In their little huddle, in their little huddle, you get a picture of what's in their hearts. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they, if they, what's happening is, this is their rationale. If they answer correctly that John's message was from God and, and, and so is Jesus, then they have the right answer to their own question, but they have to believe John's message and they're bound by it and they have to repent and they have to follow Jesus. You have to worship Jesus for who he is. The Lamb of God has all authority. Which we would go, yeah, that's exactly. Just do that. Case closed, question answered, life saved. But they don't want to do that. They don't want to believe John's message. Luke 7, 28. I tell you, among these those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But listen, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. If they believed John's message, they would have to humble themselves in repentance and acknowledge their sin before the Lord Jesus, but they don't want to do that because they don't fear God. 
They fear man. How do we know that they fear man? Because they just admit it. If we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So isn't this, isn't this them revealing we're more afraid of people than we are afraid of God? And isn't this just contrasted with Jesus, with the Lord Jesus, who, who we're told did not entrust himself to men because he knows what's in them? And so their thinking is if they say the wrong answer, they run the risk of upsetting the crowd. The crowd loves John. He's a prophet. He's a martyr. And then they're going to tarnish their reputation as religious authorities. And so for them, the crowd is bigger than the maker of the crowd. And just consider, I was convicted as I considered this, where is our fear and reverence? Whose approval do we desire? If you are in Christ, you have God's approval, family. You have it. Because he's fought for you at the cross and he's, he's won you to himself in his death and you have his, you have the Holy Father's approval in Jesus' name. And if you are fighting for the approval of man, that is a fight that you will never, ever win. The chief priests and the elders are attempting to serve two masters. Both of them are idols. One is the fear of man and the other is their religious agenda. They're not interested in Jesus. They're interested in safety. They're not interested in Jesus. They're interested in their image. They're not interested in, in Jesus. They are interested in self-preservation and reputation, not the truth. And Jesus doesn't answer them because they've not asked to know. They don't really want to know. They question him to trap him, not to learn from him. And they question him to slander him, not submit to him. They question him to question him not to truly inquire of the master. And their dishonesty is revealed in how they answer Jesus. What do they say? We do not know. That's their answer. <laughs> it's kind of laughable because these are religious know-it-alls. And this is their answer. I don't know. This is what politicians might call a pivot Okay, it's really just they're evading the question. Theologian Howard Voss says they preferred to plead ignorance and to look ridiculous. Their dishonesty had been unmasked. They have no fear of God and they have no authority now. And this leads to our final point, the final authority. Authority speaks again. Jesus speaks again. He said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So their answer and Jesus' answer reveal two things. The first thing that's revealed is the actual authority that they have. They come thinking they have authority, and then the way that they answer reveals, oh, you really don't have the authority that you think that you have. The second thing it reveals is their faith. So, so the answer that they give, we do not know, is the lamest, cheapest, but safest answer to give. It's the most political 
answer that they could give. This doesn't get them in trouble with the crowd and it allows them to preserve their little religious club. But what we really see is if if they can't assess John's ministry and his message rightly, why would they be able to make a judgment about the Christ? If you can't judge the one who came before me and, and his message, which is about me, You definitely can't judge me. Jesus Jesus is revealing you have no authority to make assessments about the one who has all authority. You don't even know who I am. But, But it's not just that. It's not even just that their answer to Jesus' question reveals their lack of Authority, their lack of understanding. It does. It reveals their blindness. We don't know. We don't know. Exactly. You don't know. If you knew, you'd answer the question. Because faith answers the question. So Jesus doesn't avoid their initial question when Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. He's revealing that those who are genuinely seeking him in faith don't care about what anybody else thinks. They see who he is and who matters and who matters most and nothing else matters more to them. Nothing else matters more than anything in the world than Jesus. And that's been revealed to them by faith. Faith answers. And they can't answer because they have this line called reputation and prestige and people like me. And they won't cross the line because they're blind. If you were starving and there was food on the other side of a line and you could see the food, any any simple person can tell you just you see it go get go get it it's right there and if you if you act like it's not there the only explanation is you must be blind how do you not see it so not only do they display that they don't have the competence to answer Jesus question they do not have the faith Just contrast this with Jesus' interaction with Peter just a few chapters earlier. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. This is fascinating. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's the same question. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Jesus gives Peter virtually the same question and the opportunity to answer for what, who, who's, who's the authority here? Who am I? This is amazing. And Jesus says, that's right. That's right. And guess what? That did not come from you. And so just just understand what's happening. So we're here, this worship gathering. Just understand what this is. Every time we come together to worship, we are saying together by faith that didn't come from us, 
You are the Christ. You are the Christ. We, we are answering the question. Every time you, you park yourself to worship and you stand and you lift your hands and you pray and you take the supper and you sit under preaching, you, you're, 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 you're being asked the question, who's the Christ? And you're answering, he's the king. He's my king. He's my savior. He's my Lord. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. Come on, the church. Every time we come together, we go, church, where did he come from? He came from heaven. To die for sins, the sins of many. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we come together as a church and we go, church, what authority does he have over your life? And we go, all authority. He's got all authority over my life. I am his and he is the Lord of life and he is my king. He's the one who Daniel saw. With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That's you that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is faith's answer. This is faith's answer. Jesus is the final authority. To him every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has all authority. I'm glad to know you agree. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And faith affirms it. Just consider as we close here some just practical things to take with you. How do we acknowledge authority? We acknowledge authority by coming under it, by coming under it, by seeking to learn from the authority. And we evidence our faith and kill our pride by coming under the authority of God's word. Your pride says, I'm the, I'm the authority. And the more you're away from this, the more you'll actually believe, no, I'm the authority. If there are parts of Scripture that you, that you balk at, all you're really saying is, you can have authority over this and this and this, but just not that. I really like that. So if we're looking for ways around God's word, we are, you're paving roads to the destruction of your very own soul. You're, you're, you are, you're paving troublesome roads there. 
You're taking roads around his authority. That's a, that's a dangerous journey. And, and, and the, the one place that we do it really is, is in isolation. So I would just ask you, and I asked myself this, when is the last time someone said something to you that you knew was biblical? Okay, Maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a, a, a friend from this church, and you knew it should be amen, and you should say thank you, and you should say, I need to pray, that's the Lord to help me, you're right, I need, to, I need to follow after the Lord in that, I need to obey his authority, but you protested because you just didn't like it. Because it touched your pride, or, or that idol that you love just a little too much. I know the word says be content, you know, I know it says that, amen, I've seen see that, but, but this, is, this is worth a little bit of complaint. I can't complain a little. And then before you know it, you're bitter. You're bitter. We are not made and then remade in Christ to be the authority in our lives. We're not made to do. We're not sufficient for it. You'll run your life into the ground. Just consider... Consider what's happening right now, okay? I'm preaching, or Pastor Valtz is preaching, or in, in, a little, in a few weeks, Pastor Brian will preach. We, we don't prepare, any pastor doesn't prepare to preach to be congratulated. We prepare to preach to you so that you might be brought under the care and authority of God's word. That's why we often pray for the good of your people, because this is good. This is good for you. This, not this. I could, you can, you can throw me out. It, not this, it's this. This. Your Savior desires to do you good. He calls you to come under his authority and the authority of his word because he wants to do you good. So Sundays are for your good. Bible studies are for your good. This is is for your good. Singing is for your good. Prayer is for your good. And you're supposed to come up underneath it. Because it's a good thing. There's nothing authoritarian happening with me over here, or any pastor for that matter. And if there is, that's, that's, that's a problem. Because the Bible is for your good. If we intentionally avoid the word of God, we are saying, by what authority? By what authority do you tell me what to do? I'm the authority of my life. And the farther we are from it, the more we believe that we are the authority on our Christianity. But the crazy thing is you didn't even make you Christian. You didn't even make you a Christian. Like, isn't it crazy how that happens? We get saved, like, all right, I know what to do now. You have no idea what to do. You didn't even, you didn't even save you. What are we talking about? And here's the thing, lastly, we can trust his authority because we know 
his character. It's two dads, okay? One dad says with all his fatherly authority, jump, son. Jump, I'll catch you. And his son jumps. And he lets his son fall to the ground. And he picks him up and he dusts him off. He says, let that be a lesson, son. Don't you trust anyone. And that son will certainly think twice before trusting his father's words again. That father has just taught his son a lesson in how to trust yourself. Another dad comes home from work. He's coming up the steps, checking his phone, okay? And his son, unannounced, leaps off the steps towards his dad, and the dad drops his phone, and he catches his son. And he goes, what are you doing? Why would you do that? And the son goes, you're my dad. I knew that you would catch me. You're my dad. Do we often suspect that God is like that former father? The first dad, untrustworthy, out to teach a hard lesson to us, questionable character. I'm not sure about this one, but he's a good dad, family. And Christ is a good shepherd. He's a good king, and you can trust his authority because his character speaks to how reliable and how caring and how gentle he is. If you find yourself resisting the authority of Christ in an area of your life, just ask yourself, how have I forgotten something about God's character? What is it in my heart that is questioning the character of God that's causing me to trust in my own character and my own authority over the Lord's? If, if we forget his kindness and his gentleness, we become the authority on kindness and we're just harsh. If we forget his generosity, we become the authority on generosity and we're stingy. If we forget his faithfulness, we become the authority and we are plagued by worry and anxiety. If we forget his humility, we become the authority on humility. And what is that? We're just proud. If we forget that he's a God of peace and forgiveness, we become the authority on that. And we're just going to quarrel and fight and hold on to unforgiveness. And if we are cold towards God, if you find yourself cold towards him, let, let the character of his love warm you into joyful, loving affection. It's by grace that you've been saved. And you've been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. He loves you, saints. The greatest trick that Satan can come up with to try and steal away your allegiance is to get you to question God's God's character. Did God really say that he's with you? Did he really say that? Well, then why do you feel so alone? He must be lying. 
Did he really say that, that he's overcome the world? Did he really say that? Then why do you feel so defeated? Why is the world so crazy right now? He must be a liar. Here, 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 have some social media. Have, they're going to tell you lots of truth. Give, give, them, give them all the authority in your life. Did he really say that his grace is sufficient for you? Then why is this so hard? Here, have a, have a drink. Here's, have a little sin. Let's give that authority in your life. You, you've earned it. Did he really say that I'll be a father to you and you should be my sons and daughters? Did he really say that? Then why aren't you married yet? He must be lying. Why is the church changing? He must be a liar. Why'd that family leave? He must be lying. Why don't you feel his love? He must not be that great. He must not be who he says he is, and that's the trick of sin. So that you question God's character and question his authority and go and do whatever you want. But this is what the Lord says in all his authority in Jeremiah 31, 35. I'm landing the plane. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. Who stirs up the sea so that it waves, so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. In other words, when the cosmos stop obeying God, he will stop loving you. And you can stop trusting his character. And you can stop submitting to his authority. But they won't. That's the point. When the stars fall from heaven, then you can go, I don't know, Lord. I don't know. But they won't. Church, Christ is the final authority of your life, my life, and we come under his authority by faith and trust and obedience to his word. And at the cross, Jesus took on all of the lies that you believe about his character and the sinful reasons that you just distrust his authority so that you may, might by faith trust him with your whole life. The accusers of Christ in Matthew 21 in pride would not bow to his authority. They would not do it because they did not know him. But by faith, you do know him. We no longer need to be in authority for ourselves. We have the authority of the almighty, the king of glory. Let's thank God for saving us now and ask him to help us bow to his authority. Let's pray. Father, all things are yours. You have dominion and you love us in Jesus. Would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to give our lives to you because we believe you're going to do us good? We thank you that you never lie. And we thank you that we are yours and you are ours because of what Christ has done. In Jesus' name, amen.